there's a Mardi Gras parade going on outside my window right now, legitimately. Oh, you could you could be seeing some gross boobs right now. Uh, Bourbon Street is down just a little ways, but I'm I'm thinking about wandering down there later, looking at some gross boobs, throwing some beads. I'm not even really into that, but I'll do it. I'm no Debbie Downer, that's for sure. I think they should all be thrown in jail. Washington, Washington, six foot eight weighs a fucking ton. Opponents beware, opponents beware. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming. Let me lay it on the line, he had two on the vine. I mean two sets of testicles, so divine. On a horse made of crystal, he patrolled the land. With the mason ring and schnauzer in his perfect hands. Here comes George, in control. Women dug his snuff and his gallant stroll. Eight opponents' brains. And invented cocaine. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming. Washington, Washington. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 8, POTUS Life Podcast. I, w- I do want to start off by saying this is an episodic podcast. I see a lot of people listening to our later episodes and not our earlier episodes. So if you're listening to this episode and you haven't listened to previous episodes, I highly recommend you go back and do that. This is a whole storyline. And if you're just picking up right in the middle, you're going to miss a few things. There's some good stuff back there, you know? I have labored back there. So go check it out. And guess yeah, what, Justin? Go give it give it a listen. Give it give it, give it yeah, a little listen. Give it a little chance. Give it a little listen. It's all right. It's not all bad. Might be a little worse than this, but I mean, probably not, right? So yeah. Justin, did you see the most recent video we put up on Facebook? I did. Did you like that? I liked it. Yeah. My my brother did that for us. He thought it would be really funny. I also thought it would be pretty funny, so he put that together for us. He's pretty awesome. I think we're going to do a few more, actually. He's going to send me one tonight. See how that goes. I support that. We've been tracking our listeners. I can track everybody on all SoundCloud. 12, all 12 of you. All 12 of you. I'm so, I'm so proud of you guys for listening. Or girls. I don't know. But guess... Do you, do you know where the number one location of our listens is, Justin? Where do you think it would be? What, city-wise or country or what? Country. It's the United States, right? Not even close. Really? Yeah, not close. <laughs> where then? So United States is number three or four, depending on the day. In order, our listeners are coming from Canada, the United Kingdom, and Australia. So this podcast is literally un-American. This is, an un- this is the most un-American podcast that we've ever done, one could say. But yeah, the, the Canadians apparently are, are curious. That or we've tricked them into thinking that this is an actual podcast with, you know, I don't know, a point and purpose. And it is, damn it. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. So I did want to do a little recap about our last episode. I but think Before we get to that, it's, oh, it's been a while. Since oh, it has. Oh man, you're so right. I almost I jumped the gun. It's been I a long the time. A lot of things have happened. What Donald Trump about? has taken office. Yeah. Yeah. That's and true. his his inauguration crowd was the largest crowd in Period. History. Period. Period. 
and period and the things that have transpired are not atrocious at all i i sometimes don't even want to talk about it because it's some of the most ridiculous shit you could possibly imagine yeah and for all of our listeners in canada and the uk fuck you guys you don't have to deal with it i mean you have to deal with it because he's the leader of a global power but i mean this crazy man is not your president golf course in scotland (sighs) remember he was very upset about the use of windmills (laughs) to generate electricity He's against the windmills. <laughs> He's was, very against windmills. What was his reasoning behind? Because the, they look ugly. <laughs> That's hideous. Yeah. Get it out of here. Burn some coal. Yeah, they put windmills up off the coast of his golf course, and he was very upset. And now he's the president of the United States. Oh, I mean, well, basically every single person he's appointed thus far is pretty anti-establishment and definitely against the cabinet in which they've been appointed to. So that's fun. Like the EPA and I don't know. Our oh yeah. Secretary of <laughs> the EPA education. I can't say much about it, but I'm, I'm trying to get rid of some, some hazardous waste for a company I may or may not work for. And if the EPA didn't exist, I would dump it in a playground. <laughs> okay. I would in a heartbeat. But see, Justin, you're playground. the exact reason why the EPA exists. <laughs> yeah, because I would poison your children. <laughs> oh, most certainly. Most certainly. Oh, Jesus Christ. No, it's a pretty it's a pretty sad day for pretty much everybody, I think. I Yeah, a lot a lot of crazy shit has happened. You know, there's uh for a, a brief period of time, seven banned countries fr- from entering the U.S. as it was complete travel ban, right? Um, it was not a complete travel ban. Well, OK, yes, it is a complete travel ban from those states. They also would not allow people with visas or anything. So you're right. It wasn't all out travel ban, but just to those specific seven countries from in from those seven countries, yeah. <laughs> none of which included countries where people that have actually attacked us like the 9-11 attacks have come come from oddly interesting huh i wonder why that would be justin uh what, well some what countries are, are those that, that those people that, came from okay let's see there's saudi arabia check united arab emirates check lebanon check egypt check and i think think that's about it hmm uh, some of those countries have a lot of oil yeah and like afghanistan isn't on the list hmm. pakistan you know it's just very it doesn't make much sense to me now i do want to say I, I think that sometimes people get a little confused the president is completely within his constitutional right to do exactly what he did just not necessarily in the way that he did it, I would say. Right? Uh, that's open to interpretation. I mean, the, the legally, you can... Uh, it's just weird. It's just weird. Well, President Obama instituted a travel ban. Yeah. So this isn't the first time that's happened. It's not even a, just a Republican thing. 
Right. But I but I would say the reason that the judge decided the way that he did was because it was expressly against a very specific religious group. That's kind of a no no. Yeah, and even that's weird. Like I don't that's not even true. Most Muslims live outside of that region, the Middle East. But that it's, was the reason he gave, right? It's just like sure. But this is the this is the end. We're all gonna die. Because <laughs> nobody knows what they're doing. I don't. That's for sure. Oh well. Hey, did you see uh we also haven't talked about Rogue One, a Star Wars story? No, I haven't seen it. You haven't seen it? Nope. Oh my god. I haven't. Who are you? I was waiting for you, actually. Well, what? I saw it a lot. Oh, I know you probably went and saw it a lot. I, dude, I was so disappointed after the last one. And then from what I'm reading about this one is confusing as well. So I, I don't know. What What are your take? What is your thought on it? Uh, I don't want to. If you haven't seen it, I don't, I don't even want to talk about it. Should Should I go see it? Is this a Is this a wait till next time? You want to put it in the desk drawer? Yeah. Pull that yeah. out later. Yeah. Go see it. If it, I don't even think it's playing anywhere. At least not in. Good old Northeast Ohio. I can probably figure that out. There are ways. You're a clever girl. Clever gal. Anything else happen? Christmas? Mm, yeah, I mean, I went to I went to some hot springs. I went skiing. Did a lot of skiing actually. Worked at, worked at the Super Bowl. That was fun. How oh, did you enjoy the Super Bowl? You like sports? Uh don't like the sports ball. Do have to film every Sunday night football game ever from now until the end of eternity. So that's cool. I, I, I didn't really care for the game as much, although it was a very interesting game, to be honest with you. Didn't see that coming at all. I did really like the Lady Gaga show, though. I'll be real. You're pro Gaga? I'm pro Gaga, actually. I'll say this. This is why I'm pro Gaga. I once sat in a recording session of hers at Capitol Records. The mix engineer soloed her fader up, which meant that there was no other processing or anything else. There's nothing else on her voice. It was just her voice right off the microphone. And my God, she has a perfect voice. It's absolutely perfect. She sounds amazing. She was incredible to work with, incredibly professional, showed up, was ready. And you can honestly not say that about everybody. You know, I've worked with a lot of very talented people and she was really cool. So I think that for her to do a, a really cool show, at halftime was awesome. I say, fuck Lady Gaga. Well, damn. Because I'm a contrarian. <laughs> and I don't like Lady Gaga. I'm sick of her and her music and her, how fat she is. Do you hear this jazz band in the background? Faintly. Hold on, wait. Yeah, it's it's crazy out there. I feel like you orchestrated this jazz band to go by while I'm about to go off on my Lady Gaga tangent. Maybe I did. Maybe I didn't. You can't prove so, it. So well played. I'll just leave it. <laughs> fuck, fuck a Lady Gaga and her liberal agenda. Fuck the lady and her Gaga. Uh, well, I just I'm so sick of her and her you're hair. Just, oh, you're over it. He's over, over it. her hair. He's over it. <laughs> my favorite thing is that people have been calling her fat. <laughs> oh yeah, no, they've totally been getting in on that. She I mean she was was rounder than she has ever been before, but I think she's looking great. Damn, you know? I say I say eat 
eat cheeseburgers. Many, many cheeseburgers. I'm sick of these skinny, narrow hips, could only bear two, three children. <laughs> women. A, are you a solid eight, eight child man? Is that what you're telling me? Yeah, I really judge a woman by those hips. You know who like also had great hips? Shakira. George Washington. He did. He had great hips. So uh, why don't you tell us a little more about his hips or what we talked about in our last episode? Oh, there it is. I think that's my cue to go. Geo, geo. So last episode, we talked about Washington and some of the people who influenced his radicalization as an American patriot. Most notably, Patrick Henry, a.k.a. Mr. Give Me Liberty or Give Me Death, which he stole, or Edmund Pendleton and George Mason, a.k.a. the guy that assisted in writing the Fairfax Resolves in response to British, uh, in response to Britain's, in response to Britain's post, uh, in Britain's Boston's, Boston's Britain's, it's hard to say, in response (sighs) to Britain's Boston Port Act, as well as the Virginian Declaration of Rights that would later be used as a skeleton to the Declaration of Independence. So we've got Edmund Pendleton, we've got George Mason, we've got Patrick Henry. These guys are all heavily, heavily influencing George Washington. We moved on to talk a little about George's First and Second Continental Congress, in which he partied a lot and spoke a little. Then we got into the exciting stuff. George was chosen as the general of the Continental Army, which at the time, was literally an army of one. All the troops, and I use that term very loosely, air-quoting troops, belonged to state militias. There was not quite yet a United States, let alone a united armed force. So, George Washington, army of one. We touched on the first shots of the revolution fired at Lexington and Concord. This was the one if by land, two if by sea, the British are coming, the British are coming, ride of Paul Revere, who totally looks a lot like Jack Black. Like, seriously, have you ever seen a picture, like a painting of Paul Revere? Yes, I have seen the comparison. He, I have never seen this comparison before. I think they're the same person. It's no, because it's all, you just have to look at the ears. I was really, and all, and all I was really dop- hoping that those historical doppelganger <laughs> things, you just look at their ears and you're like, oh, that's not Matthew McConaughey at I, all. I don't know, man. I I think that Jack Black may be a Time Lord. That's all I'm saying. Mm, fuck you. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and then we finished out our episode with the Battle of Breed's Hill, which was actually incorrectly labored, labeled Bunker Hill, where American patriot Major General Joseph Warren led a fierce stand against the British General Howe. The British did win that battle, but they suffered heavy casualties which in turn kindled the patriotic movement throughout the colonies. That brings us to today. Sorry, I need a little framboise. Framboise. A good feel good. Lambic. I love a good Lambic beer, you know? I know you do. I am drinking some Buffalo Trace bourbon tonight. Interesting. You know, oh, speaking of that, before I get into today's episode, everyone, if you love us and there is almost nobody in our 12 viewership group that does. But if you do and you want to send us some liquors, any liquor will do, but specifically, preferably whiskeys or scotches, uh, go ahead and 
shoot us a little email, go onto Facebook, private message us. I'll give you an address, you know, show the love, show the love, share the liquor. So today's episode, the day is Sunday, July 2nd, 1775. Are you with me, Justin? Are you there? We're hopping in. And Washington arrives at Cambridge to assume control of the Continental Army. A little interesting tidbit, Washington would make a theatrical practice of riding into camp on his horse. However, he would mostly ride in a carriage from place to place. He was all about the looks. He'd literally hop out of his carriage, get onto his horse right before he was about to crest the hill over to go see his men. And yeah, kind of a little bit of the the Washington showmanship. Kind of like I put hot sauce on everything. <laughs> the politician, Hillary like I was, <laughs> like I was saying, Washington rode into Cambridge to assume his command of the Continental Army on a Sunday. As a man that respected religious practices, in combination with the rain that had moved in on that day, he released the troops and postponed the official inspection until the next day. So bright and early on Monday morning, George Charles Lee. 21 drummers, and many fife players wandered the ground. Washington wanted to gather at least 18,000 men. This would have been more men than the 12,000 men the British had at the time. And of course, George would tour the grounds with a 17th century equivalent of a boombox. He just needed to feel those rhythms, dog. I imagine he had a little, you know, swing going in those big hips of his, right? And on that morning... They all sat down and they had breakfast. And that's where we get the term continental breakfast. I've always wondered. I've always wondered. Was it mostly shitty cereal? It was stale bread. Cereal is always good. Scrambled eggs that have never seen a chicken's ass. Danishes, maybe. Shitty donuts, (laughs) a.k.a. bagels. This 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 is a revolutionary time. Why they would you have, have called a them bagel Danishes? when you could have a, a donut? Oh, that's a... Yeah, I'd, I would never have a bagel if I could have a donut. Ugh, gross. Yeah. You have to you have to put your own frosting on it in the form of cream cheese. It's bullshit. It's pretty, it's pretty big just, bullshit. Just have a donut. <laughs> There's Justin, no how shame many, in having, having dessert for breakfast. How many donuts did you have this morning? I didn't have any donuts this morning. I had frosted flakes, so I probably should have just had a donut. (laughs) No, but they're like little donuts that you can pour milk in. Yeah, yes. (laughs) They're they're much better for cotton mouth. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. I know. So on the morning that George is touring the grounds, I'm almost certain that he woke up really early, right? He wanted to get himself all spiffed up. I'm sure Billy and him were sitting there. By the way, Billy was his manservant, if we don't remember, Billy Lee. We're sitting there. I bet they even stayed up late the night before and planned every single part of his outfit. Just kind of giggled. What, am I going to wear this cravat with that? Does this look good? Does this necktie make me look fat? You know, those sorts of things. I'm joking, obviously, but part of me does wonder, seriously, what he was thinking the night before he went to inspect all these troops, right? So when he was given his generalship, He was like, I am a man that is, I am not suited to this position. I, you know, it's too much of an honor for me to hold this position. 
So now he's actually about to go stand in front of the men that he's going to lead into battle. What do you think was going on in that melon of his, Justin? Uh, thank God I don't have diarrhea today. Oh, you're probably right. I think he was he was a pretty confident guy. He could he could throw the bar. He could toss the bar. He was the, the best thrower. He was just his his humble appearance because he was kind of shitting his pants about the the task ahead. But I think he knew he was the shit. I can't even concentrate with this band in the background. It's killing me. You doing all right? I'm doing great. No, I think I think you're right. I think he was a pretty confident guy. I think he was ready as much as he could be ready to go into this thing. And I, I honestly think he was a little belligerent about being able to think that he could take command of all these people. Because like we've talked about in the past, I think a lot of his, I don't think he was completely feigning going, oh, I, I can't really take this task, but I think, he, I think he really wanted it. I think he wanted to go for it. I don't think he knew what that, I don't think he knew what he was going for, but he, he wanted it, you know? He was probably thinking sense. a lot about what had been denied to him under the Virginia regulars in the, the British Army. I'm going to show those fucking Brits. Yeah, he's like, yeah, I got the power. I'm the captain now. I am the captain now. So anyway, it it wouldn't be until July 4th, 1775, that all the troops were officially gathered under the banner of Continental Army. This meant that Washington could now officially start issuing orders to the troops. So how do you do it, George? Step number one in assembling this ragtag volunteer army in need of a shower into a functional military power, you ask? Washington would have to dissolve the bonds that the men had for the state militias that they belonged to just the day before and cement a bond of unity between the men of different states, creating a truly united army. The bonds the men had for the regions in which they came from were very strong. Just like today, each region has some like specific traditions and traits and vernacular, the way that people talk. So the men were very tied to their regions. For example, one of the big things that was a problem for Washington was the Yankees didn't want some Southerner from Virginia to be leading them. Vice versa, the people from the South would never have a Yankee lead them. So in this way, George was actually a very good choice because he was, I guess, nouveau riche in a way. So he was from the old, you know, from the Southern part, but had very, I think, Northern aspirations. So he was able to kind of make that tie. Also, militias from other areas operated differently. For example, many of the northern colonies elected their officers instead of appointing the most knowledgeable person in warfare. So instead of a career military leader, the different militias were placed under the command of farmers, shopkeepers, shoemakers. Anyone could lead an army, basically. George could lead an army, I guess. (laughs) And George didn't just have a problem with who was in charge. He had a problem with the way these military leaders became friends and would later hang out or otherwise fraternize with the men of lower ranks. George was old school. He once said, I quote, the soldier and the officer being too nearly on a level, discipline and subordination add life and vigor to military movements. In simple English, he really desired control. He wanted the soldiers the boots on the ground to feel obligated to listen to the officers and follow them. 
not out of a friendship or a comradeship, but of fear and obligation. This was the British way, right? And as much as George was a patriot, he understood that the British had a terrifically disciplined and well-organized military. And he desired the same discipline and organization for his own army. Although, and I'm not trying to spoil anything here in the future, we will see as the war grinds forward, Washington, although still desiring to have people of his social standing and higher ranks, would promote through the ranks those that lacked his pedigree, to say. Which is ironic, because he mostly came from nothing himself, right? He was not any British noble or a a true gentleman in that sense. He came from nothing and built himself to where he is. And I think he realized that a little too. By the end of the war, Washington would end up shedding his regal uniform, that beautiful uniform that stood out and got him this job. And he would wear the uniform of his men. So it's kind of interesting to see how that whole thing kind of moves forward, him wanting to separate himself from the men and then him becoming one of the men. But I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm getting ahead of myself. Back to the army that Washington was given. These guys were just about as rough and tumble as it gets. All the fancy people had enough money to stay at home and go to Congress and stuff, right? The men out on the field were from the lower rungs of life. One thing I love is how many times authors reference random gunfire throughout the camps. Fights, even? I I wanted to read a quick story of a fight here. Uh, A camp cook named Israel Trisk recounted a fight and how George Washington stopped it. A fierce struggle commenced with biting and gouging on the one part and knocking down on the other part with as much apparent fury as the most deadly enemy could create. Reinforced by their friends in less than five minutes, more than 1,000 combatants were on the field struggling for mastery. At this juncture, General Washington made his appearance. Whether by accident or design, I'll never know. I only saw him and Colonel I only saw him and his colored servant, Billy Lee, both mounted. With the spring of a deer, he leaped from his saddle, threw the reins of his bridle into the hands of his servant, and rushed into the thickest of the melee. With an iron grip, he seized two tall, brawny, athletic, savage-looking riflemen by the throat keeping them at arm's length, alternately shaking and talking to them. (laughs) In this position, the eye of the belligerent caught the sight of the general. Its effect on them was instantaneous flight at the top of their speed in all directions from the scene of conflict. Less than 15 minutes time elapsed from the commencement of the row before the general and two criminals were the only occupants on the field of action. Here, bloodshed, imprisonment, Trials by court-martial were happily prevented, and hostile feelings between different corps of the army extinguished by the physical and mental energies timely exerted by one individual. That's a pretty fucking powerful statement there, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's pretty fucking great. He just kind of runs right on in there. You know, this sort of reminds me of the anecdote about the time he caught a guy poaching fish on his land rushed up, took his canoe, and essentially whooped the guy's ass right there on site. He spanked him. He pulled down his pants. He literally spanked him. him. Washington? You will never do this again. And he never did. (laughs) So I think the message here is that we should be spanking our children. We should. I think we should make America great again. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) You know, We should bring back spankings in public schools. Don't get ahead of yourself, Justin, because I've got a good one here coming for you. One of one of the favorite punishments that Washington gave out 
was making a man ride what was called the wooden horse, right? Literally, they would put a one, they would literally, they would put a man on timeout. He would have to sit on a wooden sawhorse, which is a, you know, a piece of wood suspended in the air, basically. The man would be forced to sit on the log like he was riding a horse, as in the log is between his legs. And then he would have weights strapped down on the sides of his legs, and he would just have to sit there on timeout. <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah, this was a punishment in the army. <laughs> and George loved it. Seriously, he like would do this to people. <laughs> he was in control. Daddy's in control here. Oh, man. Um, another thing I wanted to point out in that story real quick was that Billy Lee was right by his side. We've kind of talked about Billy Lee, his manservant before, but really he was with Washington at every step of the whole battle. He was right next to him on a horse taking care of shit. So, yeah, those men were definitely a little rough and tumbled at Washington just got put in command of. And unfortunately for Washington, there were only actually 14,500 of them able to serve. Washington thought he was going to have at least 18,000 troops, and really he hoped for 20,000. And that wasn't the worst of all the news that we're hearing today. George gets some information about the 308 barrels of gunpowder that the Patriots were in possession of. There were actually only 36 of them. Whoopsies. Whoops. Our bad. We miscounted on that one. Weapons of mass destruction. (laughs) And when George... seeking out materials to make weapons of mass destruction wmds w wmds w there are 308 wmds oops there there are no sir sir there are actually only 36 wmds in china 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 I really miss George W. Bush. I know. He said funny things. Nuclear. Nuclear. Terror. <laughs> uh, Terror. <laughs> Terror. The evil doers. The evil doers. The evil doers. Do you remember that? Yeah, they hate freedom. <laughs> we have freedom. <laughs> It's the perfect answer, though. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what George Bush didn't do. He didn't implement a fucking travel ban. That's for damn sure. No, not even George Bush. In the face of nine eleven, uh, thanks, President. Anyway, uh, so yeah, totally unfair. Totally unfair. Uh, back to the story. Eighteen thousand troops were actually 14,500 troops. 308 barrels, actually only 36. And my favorite part about this whole thing is when George was actually told that there were only 36 barrels of gunpowder, he just apparently sat there quietly without saying anything for a half hour. And I can imagine that in his mind, he's quietly thinking, fuck, 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 fuck. Yeah, that's uh, not a lot of gunpowder for a war. Uh, I mean, I don't think that you need to be a military genius to figure out that 
36 barrels of gunpowder were not going to last very long, especially against an enemy that had an almost unlimited supply of arms, ammunition, people, and cash. So George didn't have the powder he needed. He didn't have the funds he needed. His military was fighting itself. He wasn't able to formally appoint whoever he wanted. And his camp was absolutely filthy. It was a mess. I'm just saying, Justin, we need to make America great again. That's all I'm saying. America. His camp was very low energy. (laughs) It's a big fat mess. Very nasty camp. It was was filthy. It was dirty. What, What happens when you have a filthy and dirty camp, Justin? You are at Bonnaroo. <laughs> or Coachella or one of those other other things that you dirty hippies go to. Your Grateful Dead Fest. Gross. Can you imagine the smells? I've I've been to some festivals in my day. And uh at least there are a lot of drugs at these festivals. Continental Army has some shitty rum. <laughs> and if you got caught with it, you had to apparently hump a wooden horse. <laughs> like, <laughs> I love our modern amenities so much. America is already great. Uh, you you know, I just did, Justin. What did you just do? I just spilled frambois fucking everywhere. You need to clean it up? Give it a little cleany clean. No, no, we're fine. Uh, my computer is on its side. It is bathing in in lambic juices. I'm totally well, fine with it. We're, pick it up, dumb dumb. We're doing it fucking live, Justin. Don't be we're a do- savage. We're we just doing talked it. about we're, a dirty camp. We're doing it. It is just fine. It's going to probably be a little sticky. Well, fine. We'll clean that right up. No diseases here. No diseases here. Yeah. You're going to be sick in the morning. (laughs) Do you want ants? This is how we get ants. This is how you get ants. Oh, it's on my pillow. It's in my book. Clean it up. I'm going to go get another drink. Getting better? Looking good. Oh, God. Looking good, feeling good, you know? Good, feeling good. Take a little sippy and we'll resume. We know that Washington was no stranger to disease. Being 1700 sick is probably at the front of his mind a lot. Medicine at the time was mostly shit, but what they did have was smallpox inoculation. We've mentioned that this inoculation was practiced at Mount Vernon. He didn't want his slaves to be sick and dying. That's a bad business model for a plantation. As much can be said about the Continental Army. It's the smart thing to do because smallpox could be a real bitch. I think that it's it's probably important to talk a little more about smallpox. Smaller perks. Small perks. I think it's important to talk a little more about smallpox here. It's a real hot 1700s topic. We've mentioned it a couple times. So hot. It's right going to come up in in the next couple presidencies up until like the 80s, really. This is a disease that goes back 
at least 12,000 years. And I don't understand how that is possible because the earth is only 4,000 years old, right? <laughs> That's correct. That's and about, dinosaurs never existed. Beyond Noah time. But smallpox scars have been found on mummies, most notably Ramses V, who ruled Egypt br- briefly for probably, I think, like four years in the 12th century BCE. That was back when health insurance didn't didn't have a business model for for kings and shit, for the wealthy. So it didn't exist. It was especially devastating on previously unexposed populations. And Europeans, of course, brought it over to the New World, I think, as early as the Columbus landing. Spread a little smallpox around. It actually wiped out one-third of the Aztecs. And inoculation of the disease began in China around China, around the 10th, 10th century CE. And it eventually made its way to white people in the early 1700s. A one Lady Mary Wortley Montague had observed the practice in the Ottoman Empire and decided to inoculate her children in Britain in 1721. Now, that same year, Boston had been hit with a smallpox outbreak. Boston. A slave, Boston. A slave named Wanzimus, I think, told his master about his own inoculation as a child in Africa. And that's the story of white people defeating smallpox. <laughs> An English doctor would introduce the the first smallpox vaccination in 1796. I forget what his name was. Small. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Dr. Small. Sound like a friggin' idiot. (laughs) The last known natural case was in 1977 in Somalia. And then in 1980, the WHO announced the... Who? The WHO. Who? The WHO. Oh. Who? The (laughs) WHO is on first. (laughs) That's the name of this episode. (laughs) Who's on first? The WHO. (laughs) The WHO declared the disease to be over, like they were over the disease in 1980. And that is why I think we should stop vaccinating our children. It doesn't work. It doesn't work because everyone in the world now has running water and sewer, like perfectly working sewers. That was the actual cause of, of smallpox going away. You know, that's an that's a actual argument that people use. That's a really unfortunate argument. Mm-hmm. Man, what's wrong with people? I don't know. I think everybody's special. But George would disagree with um, not vaccinating our children. He inoculated his troops and had a smallpox hospital set up. He knew that the disease could be as great an adversary as the Brits. Disease is just, at this time and even now, just a devastating thing for, for military, for them uh, army people, not us normies. The normies. General Howe would round up colonists in British-held areas 
with smallpox outbreaks and send them to areas that he knew the Continental Army would be. And What an asshole. Well, getting your enemy sick is a sick strategy for saving gunpowder. So 200 years before its last known case, thanks to vaccinations, Washington orders the inoculation of the Continental Army. So that's uh, 1777 for people that don't like math. And it's one of the greatest contributions to the revolution that George made. It might be his best move. He's not the greatest military strategist. He's not very good at winning battles. (coughs) Did you have the smallpox? I did not have the smallpox. Do you know what I did have? The whooping cough. I had the whooping cough. It was the worst. (coughs) Kind of like the medicine. (laughs) Well, you're also a sick fuck. It was tasty. So George, he's not going to win the battles, but a good old poopy pants. He knows his 17 <laughs> diseases. But now we need we need to back up. We're not quite ready oh. for 1777. No, yeah, we need to hop in that way back time machine. It's just important to know that he was on the top of that on top of that shit, and we have to give him props for that. He wasn't a complete moron. Back to 1775. The Continental Army is having other problems. One of the big ones is, of course, that sweet, sweet gunpowder. Mm. Mm-hmm. You just have to. Mm. Dear Lord, you got to have the gunpowder. I want my gunpowder. The, the British Army has got the shit on lockdown. As you mentioned, they're well supplied. They they had supply management down to a science by then. Oh, yeah, they were on it. They're loaded with the stuff. They've got it. It's stashed in many places. I'm imagining some of those places right now. Go on. (laughs) Oh, no, no. Sorry. You continue. So the British know that the the ragtag colonists don't have as as much as they do. And they think that they can snuff out this rebellion before it even starts. And we're not exactly sure if Washington is the mastermind, but we know that he puts forth an order to make the British think that the Continental Army has way more gunpowder than they actually do. He knows that this is going to make the the British just that much more hesitant and maybe buy him enough time to actually stock up on the stuff. So some Rhode Islanders, our most famous state, come up with a plan (laughs) to go down to the Caribbean with some ships and raid the shit out of some caches (laughs) of gunpowder. Washington is like... They're like, hey, Washington, can we get a hell yeah? And Washington, in his best Stone Cold Steve Austin impersonation, says, hell yeah. Hell yeah. So while while the British are focused on the Boston area, trying to keep that on lockdown, let's steal us some, some of that Bermuda powder. It almost sounds like a Hamilton scheme, but he had not yet joined Washington's staff. Not yet. Not yet. Unfortunately, General Gates had already taken most of the gunpowder stores in the Bermuda. Uh-oh. Bahama. Oh, I want to take you to the Kokomo. We'll take get there fast. fast. Take it slow. And then we'll take it slow. Mm. Do you hear that, woman? There are conflicting claims about how much colonial ships ended up getting. 
but most accounts say that they only got about 100 barrels. It's not nothing, but Washington needed much more. And he had much more luck sending 300 men to Sunnyvale Trailer Park in Halifax, Nova Scotia. And he was like, barrels, let's go. Powder, let's go. Corey Trevor, powder, let's go. Corey Trevor, powder, powder, let's go. Washington was so good at keeping the gunpowder shortage a secret that it was hard to keep his fellow Virginians from being good stewards of what they had. Like, assholes stop firing so much. And you know the quote, don't fire until you see the whites of their eyes. Well, that was actually another way of saying you dumb dumb dumbs can only fire when you're absolutely sure you can actually hit the enemy because we don't have much gunpowder. So, you know, no more suppressing fire. Suppressing gunpowder. Did I kill you? I need a medic. Uh, something happens when I try to play. I'll just add it in editing. <laughs> I think that'll do. It's <laughs> <laughs> real sick. You know that. Uh, I know. Now it's your turn. Oh, it's me. Right. So, right. So sometimes if you were really bad at war, much like the Americans were, you would get yourself caught, right? Now, there are fucking rules here, Donnie, okay? There are some fucking rules if you get caught. I like people that don't get caught. <laughs> I like the ones that don't get caught. <laughs> what a fucking cunt. <laughs> oh, you're not wrong. Oh, now I'm just pissed. Fuck. Anyway, when you get caught, specifically if you were an officer or another high-ranking military person that got caught, you are provided a certain level of accommodation. There are rules. However, the British were kind of all like, I acknowledge no rank that is not derived from the king. So they didn't treat these guys all that well. And even worse, they treated the officers like common military prisoners. Ugh. Not to mention, all these people were actually just considered traitors to the English and they were colonists, so the English really just didn't like them, and they had absolutely no respect for them. Yeah, it was it was a rebellion from their point of view. They were filthy savages. Filthy colonists. Commoners. So it's interesting, though. George didn't stoop that low. You know, when they go low, we go high. When they go low, we go high. That's like my, like, I hate that phrase, by the way. That's like the fucking dumbest phrase when ever. they go low we get high that's that's <laughs> that's what i'm saying man <laughs> don't hassle me man <laughs> hey man trump 2016 uh anyway george allowed british officers no joke to walk freely around the camp as long as they made a quick little pledge hey we're not gonna run away swear let us hang out. We'll be cool. Meanwhile, the British prisoners were basically treated like shit, not really given the provisions that you were supposed to be given, not kept in proper quarters. And all this took George back to his youth as a 21-year-old in the British forces, all that time being treated like shit by the British. This was his time to give the British a big fuck you letter. So he literally sat down and wrote a very formal fuck you letter 
to General Gage of the British forces. It reads as such. You affect, sir, to despise all ranks not derived from the same source of your own. I cannot conceive any more honorable than that which flows from the uncorrupt choice of brave and free people, the purest source and original fountain of all power. I shall now, sir, close my correspondence with you, perhaps forever, if your officers, who are our prisoners, receive a treatment from me different from what I'd wish to show them then you will remember the occasion of it. So yeah, George was a little angry. You know, he was mad. He was like, hey, they're not treating these guys right. Sat down, wrote a little letter, basically saying, hey, you can see your guys. And this is something we kind of have to remember. A lot of the places where these, uh, the British and the American forces were fighting, they could actually see one another a lot of the time. So it would be very easy for General Gage to get his little spectacles out, binoculars, look across the the way and see his British officers in their uniforms walking freely about, being treated like normal people. Washington could look also into the British camps and see his people either caged up, not being fed, being handled roughly. So yeah, he's like, if you want to go ahead and continue to treat my men that way, I will also treat your men in a much worse fashion. They will not forget the way that I've treated them and neither will you. And George, in this letter, in my opinion, was not only fighting for his men to be treated fairly, but he was actually fighting for the recognition from the British government of a continental army and the independent states it was defending. You see, if you recognize the troops as troops instead of as people who were just rebelling, then you would have to recognize the states were independent from British power and control. So it was a catch-22 situation. For General Gage, right? You know, he couldn't he couldn't treat the people with their military honors because they didn't actually have military honors. They weren't in a military. They weren't recognized. So if he was going to treat them well, he would have to recognize this military force, recognize the states. So that's about where I'm at with that. I don't know how to end it. Well, that's how you fight terror. That's how you fight terror. The evildoers. Nuclear destruction. Oh man, that was a nice time. (laughs) I would actually, I mean, not that I want him to be our president again, but I'd go back. I'd gladly have George W. Bush as our president. I think he should uh, challenge the. Are duels still a thing? (laughs) (laughs) I kind of think we need them now. Yeah, we're bringing them back. That's part of making America great again. Somebody could challenge. Joe Biden would totally win. (laughs) Crazy Uncle Joe. I'm not going to lie. There were like some of the last memes going around about Joe and Obama. And I was like kind of getting a little teared up. I was like, oh, I'm so sad. It was so good. It was so good. Anyway. I'm ready for the apocalypse. Do you have a do you have a bug out kit? Do you have a bunker? That's classified. <laughs> but anyways, back to George. George was uh, he was throughout the war a bit concerned about Mount Vernon. You know what is going on at Mount Vernon? I wonder, How I wonder what's are going my on at Mount slaves Vernon? doing? <laughs> But he freaking loved this place that was named after a British admiral. Grog. 
he yeah he wrote the caretaker weekly also he was a little paranoid that the british <laughs> might try to kidnap martha <laughs> you're letting him kill martha <laughs> What does that mean? Why did you say that name? Find him. Save Martha. Why did you say that name? Martha, why did you say that name? Martha, stop. Please, stop. Why did you say that name? It's his mother's name. It's his mother's name. Must save Martha. Martha. <laughs> then he calm himself down and try to convince himself that British gentlemen wouldn't stoop so low, but they totally would have. They would have kidnapped Martha in a in a heartbeat. Totally. So it was it was always on his mind. And during the early years of the war, Washington be- became particularly fond of a first brigadier general by the name of Nathaniel Green. And he has <laughs> the spelling of Nathaniel that I really like, which is N-A-T-H-A-N-A-E-L. Nathaniel. 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 Greeny. Green. Now, there's no reason to think that George use his Spanish fly (laughs) on green. But a guy can dream, right? I am. But probably not. (laughs) Green was a Quaker. My favorite version of Christianity. You went to a Quaker school. Me? Yeah. (laughs) That's not a Quaker school. (laughs) We won't talk about that. It is not a fucking Quaker school. No, I know, but they constantly say that they're Quaker. It's hilarious. Yeah, they're, they're silly. <laughs> but like Washington, Green didn't have a whole lot of education besides the Bible. Amen. So they bonded over that. They probably felt like they should take off their shirts and kiss. <laughs> but he did read the books that made that were made popular during the Enlightenment. You know, John Locke. Plato, all that, all that good shit. Washington takes him under his wing, gives him a little love, some kisses, and he was so much his favorite that Washington wanted Green to replace him as commander if anything had happened to him because he hadn't met Alexander Hamilton yet. I would have loved Hamilton to have been a president. Maybe not. Actually, now that I think about it, we could dig him up. <laughs> He you would know, probably if we can make, be fine as president. I want to make the bar is really low. Is there you a have way? A dead president. Is there a way for us to dig up a president, get some of that DNA, put it in a dinosaur egg, make some presidents, you know, cage uh, them? They, they covered this on an, an episode of Star Trek, The Next Generation. And what was the outcome? Did it work? They cloned the. First commander, I think, or maybe emperor or whatever, of the Klingon Empire. I mean, well, he wasn't human. He what? But he wasn't human. We don't know if that'll work or not. It's irrelevant. <laughs> uh, 
Another guy that Washington really did like was Henry Knox. There might be a little fort named after him, perhaps. Yeah, that's where what that's where um, James Bond defeats Odd Job in the movie Goldfinger. Goldfinger. I thought you were slow clapping yourself over there for a minute. I'm like, is he giving himself a standing ovation? <laughs> I was cracking my knuckles. <laughs> uh, so Henry Knox was a very, very fat man. He was known to have waddled a little bit when he walked and he weighed almost 300 pounds. He also had a fat wife, which I find interesting. And the only reason that we know that he had a fat wife was Abigail Adams. And let's just be honest. Abigail Adams is such a wonderful little gift to history, right? She dished so much fucking shade on everyone. Like the girl threw shade everywhere. So this is what Abigail Adams says about Henry Knox's wife. Her size is enormous. I am frightened when I look at her. (laughs) (laughs) So that she was a big girl, you know, like more cushion. Hey, wait wait a second. Is this a quote from the documentary Blackfish? (laughs) About Tillicum the whale. (laughs) Her size is enormous. Although being a fat guy, he was said to have been, although I don't know why I said that, because actually most bigger people that I know are actually very likable people. And Henry Knox was a very likable, warm personality. Him and Washington actually hit it off pretty well. He was a bookseller in Boston. And when he wasn't selling his books, he was reading engineering books. Author Joseph Ellis calls him a gifted amateur when it comes to military warfare, because Henry Knox was very self-taught. And I think also, much like Washington appreciated Green, I think Washington appreciated Knox because he was self-taught and able to kind of figure things out. Another thing that I think Washington really enjoyed about Henry Knox is that, and I think this is so odd, he really enjoyed that Henry Knox would fire his own cannonballs. I'm not sure I want to read too much into that, but... He was, you have nice balls. (laughs) Those are some nice balls you got over there, mister. I love your balls. (laughs) Eventually, uh, Henry Knox would be promoted to Colonel of the Artillery in December 1775 after the battle at Ticonderoga. We'll get into that later, but uh, that's when he was fully promoted. And Washington really trusted Knox. He was a part of his inner circle, a part of his family, would attend all the meetings, would really help Washington decide how to build things and then how to explode things with cannons, basically. One funny anecdote about Knox was that he always called George Washington your excellency. He thought it was a sign of devotion and thought it delighted Washington. You know, so he's like, I know if I'm like, hello, hello, your excellency, you know. He went over the top with it. 
people actually say that he worshiped the ground that Washington walked on. So seriously, he like went over the top with it. He just was very flowery with his language about George Washington. Washington and Knox were so close to one another. And I wanted to find this so that I could read it. Washington later actually had a conversation with John Adams about Henry Knox. And this is what he said about him. I can say with truth, there is no man in the United States with whom I have been in habits of greater intimacy. Yeah. No one whom I've loved more sincerely, nor anyone for whom I've had a greater friendship. So George Washington really liked Henry Knox's balls, like really was into those balls. That was beautiful. (laughs) Are you crying over there? Bud, do you want a shoulder? I wish I had some balls. <laughs> okay, back to the shit. <laughs> <clears throat> we gotta go to Mount Vernon. Oh, the summer. The summer would be probably a good time. Yeah, dude. Copy that. We should set it up. We'll throw it up on Facebook and see if anybody wants to meet us out there for a day or two. Maybe we'll get murdered. I'm not going to die. I'm not (laughs) dying for this. Are you kidding me? All the fame and all the glory. All right, let's let's knock the rest of this out. You're knee deep in podcast pussy, Justin. You know it. Actually, Markley, (laughs) I hope I I catch this in the editing. Oh, we can't use any of this. Okay, let's get back to this. The story of Washington's revolution is very much a story of Washington facing external and internal problems. Historians are not the only ones who excel at picking apart his effectiveness as a military commander. Thomas Paine jumped on the fuck Washington bandwagon by this time. Paine wrote, the commencement of Washington's command was the commencement of inactivity. If we may, ju- if we may judge from the resistance on Con- at Concord and afterwards at Bunker Hill, there was a spirit of enterprise at that time, which the presence of Mr. Washington chilled into cold defense. Harsh shit, man. Damn. Yeah, but I will rule in Washington's favor here. This was a conflict far more complicated than the two instances that Payne incited. Sure, Washington was not a great military mind, as we've been over and over again. But I think it's important to recognize that the man didn't have a whole lot to work with. We had a Bill and Ted time machine. I don't think that I would go kill Hitler. I would much rather abduct some of the great military minds in history, brief them on the circumstances and technology of the revolution and swap them out for Washington. See if they could handle things without needing the French to save their asses. Personally, I would grab Genghis or Genghis, depending Gang- on where you're from. Genghis. <clears throat> uh, Dan Carlin says Genghis Khan. He's not always right. He is always right. <laughs> 
and his top men, Subutai and Jeb, pluck out Washington and let the Mongol military masterminds go to town against the British. Who would you swap out for Washington in our revolutionary fantasy league? Hmm. Gonna, I'm going to be honest, kind of was looking at some stats. Definitely wanted someone that, you know, was going to just be a fucking slayer, you know, so maybe Shay, perhaps. No, but but seriously, I did put a lot of thought into this. Actually, I was thinking, I thought a lot about this when I saw this and the questions that you're going to ask me. I was like, oh, man, who would I replace? Do you hear this? Faintly. There is wild shouting on the background. So who would I pick to swap out Washington with? The traits that I looked for in all of the leaders were actually, you know, like revolutionary leaders. Fidel Castro, Shea, uh, Bertrand de Goslin, William Wallace. He was a Scottish guy. Uh, the, the former was a French military leader as well. But I think that it would have to be somebody I'd probably choose someone like a Fidel Castro. Honestly, I think that he's intelligent and military minded and will control the fuck out of a country and make people kind of do what he needs them to do, is able to stand up against massive, massive resistance, a.k.a. the United States, when they were trying to invade his territory. Neocolonialism was happening, so I think I would probably put him in there with Fidel. But again, Fidel was surrounded. He had his brother. He had Shay. So, I mean, he had really good support. So I think that you would also need a really good support system. So it's all kind of situational, right? Like these people, I think, are products of their time. Very disappointed in you right now. It's hard to pick one. Who would you pick? I mean, you already answered that. No, it's I think it's hard, though. I'm in all honesty, I don't. I don't know enough about the Cuban revolutionary, the Cuban revolution to to give you any shit. <laughs> well, I hope somebody does, because I think it's an interesting conversation to have. Not just not just the Cuban revolutionary, but uh, who we would swap Washington out with in general. It's a hard question. Maybe we should do a podcast on Cuba. 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 I would I would actually like to do a podcast on Cuba. Hmm. Maybe if you commit more to Sparkle Motion, we can make that happen. Listen, man, I'm trying to make this into a thing. You better fucking believe that. Okay, go on to your next one. Oh, that's all I had. You didn't want to talk about the French leader and William Wallace? Uh, No, I mean, I think so. You know, just talking about Bertrand and William Wallace, same thing kind of as the Cuban revolutionaries. I think that, for example, William Wallace, he was able to stand up against massive forces didn't really work out all that well for him in the end, but was able to handle it. And interestingly enough, Bertrand his he's from the lineage of Brittany and France, but uh, known as the black dog, but he was also like a, a military French commander. He was, would fought would use Fabian tactics, would use a war of post, was able to withstand an incredibly long battle. So I think that he was a wonderful military leader, able to obviously inspire his men, pushed forward against great odds. So I think that those are the qualifications that I would pick. 
if I had to replace Washington with somebody, it would have to be a revolutionary that had very strong military background, even though Washington didn't. But I think that he was at least, I don't know. I don't know. There's so many variables. Well, unfortunately, we do not have a time machine. So back to Washington. Back to Washington. And the strange thing about Payne's negative comments is that they didn't really match up with what Washington was doing at the time. And they don't match up with what we know Washington would have done about Washington's command style. It wasn't one of inactivity because Washington was impatient. He had a balls to the walls, attack, attack. I want to hear those musket balls whiz past my head attitude. He definitely wanted to go to war. Yeah. And he He was was not, he was not a pussy. He did not grab them by the pussy either. (laughs) The problem was that he didn't have the shit to, to do that. He didn't have the gunpowder or the ammunition to match a British strategy of attack. It was like, man, I want to win an NBA dunk competition. I just don't have the right body. And I'm talking about myself. And so... Oh, you look good. Oh, thank you. And so went the siege of Boston for a while. The silver lining, though, for George in these early days outside of Boston was that a youngster by the name of John Trumbull was able to sneak around and draw really great maps. Is there a Washington. county in Ohio named after Trumbull? Um, I'm, I'm not willing to draw that connection. But <laughs> anyway, yeah, you heard it here first. He, yeah, he, he could draw really great maps, great land papers <laughs> for George. And we should all know that Washington friggin' loved maps. He'd say, golly, look at those land drawings. John. Hey, John, you're going to hang out with me and keep bringing me these badass accurate maps. Boy, I love maps. And that's a direct quote from history. (laughs) So Washington, he's really getting to nerd out and remember the good old days of when he was a simple surveyor. The NBA dunk competition analogy also works because really he had a bunch of flop dick militia constituting his army (laughs) these guys are not going to make it through the winter if we're just sitting around outside of boston not engaging the superpower soldiers within so he tries to come up with some some schemes to attack the brits but the thing is that he does have to run things by the war council he's like yeah yeah war council we can like launch amphibious attack on the red coats it'll be really cool and we'll definitely win because we're i i do the best job i do everything the best and we have the element of surprise no one's going to nobody can expect it this is a wash we're gonna win it's gonna be great revolutionary we're gonna do it it's gonna be great and they're like gee i don't know george me and the seven other generals think that's a scary idea. See, this isn't the Pacific Theater in World War II. Our amphibious vehicles are sort of should never be used for anything. They're what some people call rafts. 
bad rafts, like not even nice rafts, like just shitty rafts. It's like, are we pulling wagon wheels on these rafts? What the hell is going on? Let's not do that. So Washington says, all the generals upon earth should not have convinced me of the propriety of delaying an attack on Boston. He is horny for battle. Yeah, he's a little horny. Wagon rafts. Yeah. (laughs) It sounds a little bananas to me. (laughs) It kind of does sound a little bananas to me. Well, hey, I think that this point we've reached a little over an hour and we should probably wrap it here. And I also didn't prepare anymore. Yeah, this one's getting a little long in the tooth. She's getting long in the tooth. I have a man cold. You know, you. I'm so proud of you. You were you stepped up through this man cold that you're having. You're a champion. I hope you know that. I know. I think that men don't get enough rights. They don't get enough recognition. They don't get enough. Uh, I don't know. Slaves. <laughs> You know, this whole experience with Washington has really made me understand that America was great. We should really go back. If you want to drain the swamp, you follow the guy that really introduced the first club to drain a swamp. (laughs) A a literal, actual club. He actually drained a swamp. Dismal swamp. I think we have another drink. I think that'll help. Well, thank you for sticking it out through this. This man cold episode. If you haven't already, you can like us on Facebook. Oh, and what is new is uh, we have a, a Twitter handle. It's at POTUS Life. George has been tweeting. He's been doing some tweeting. He doesn't really understand it. <laughs> Go to our uh, <laughs> website, POTUS.life. Leave us. A, a rate and review on iTunes. That always helps. We're on Stitcher. We're basically everywhere. Uh, also, I'm going to get water bottles made with our logo on it. That's a thing. I've been looking at those today. And uh, maybe we'll find a, a hook or a tagline. I think we should let the people write our hook or tagline. All right, buddy. Later, bud. You have a good night. You too. Later. Washington, Washington, six foot eight weighs a fucking ton. Opponents beware, opponents beware. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming. Let me lay it on the line, he had two on the vine. I mean two sets of testicles, so divine. On a horse made of crystal, he patrolled the land. With the mason ring and schnauzer in his perfect hands. Here comes George, in control. Women dug his snuff and his gallant stroll. Eight opponents' brains. And invented cocaine. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming. Washington.